0: Man, we just got started, right? Wow, what a way to start. Good morning. morning. Welcome. So good to see you. Hey, I'm going to invite you to do something to open in your Bible, because here at Cornerstone, we like to look at the Word of God, and so I'm going to encourage you to open with me to Revelation chapter 4. Revelation is the last book of the Bible, chapter 4. Man, look at the kids leave, and there's so many bare spots. Phew, crazy. But that's awesome cuz that means the kids are downstairs and they're worshipping and they're learning about the Lord and and uh, so as as you're turning to Revelation chapter 4, let me just uh, draw your attention to a few things that in uh, the bulletin that you received. Tonight, I want to give you an opportunity to join a Bible study. Some of you may have wanted to join one and just not sure about one. Tonight, there is a Bible study. The information is in the bulletin um, at 5.30. It's a study called Overcomers by Dr. David Jeremiah. How many of you heard Dr. David Jeremiah on the radio or teaching? It is a video series by him. I had an opportunity. Gordon allowed me to preview it looks amazing all centered around Ephesians chapter 6 the armor of god and here's the cool thing Dr. David Jeremiah as you know is very very practical in its application and so if you want to learn about the armor of god and not just the pieces of armor but you want to learn what it means and what it looks like to put on the armor of god show up tonight 5:30 the address is there in the bulletin Um, And I encourage you to join. They're they're wanting you to come. Also notice that next Saturday for Widows and Widowers, there is a luncheon. So you are invited to that noon at Black Bear. So that is on there. Notice also December the 9th is our kids' Christmas program. You should have received one of these maybe as you came in. And it's going to just be a simple, old-fashioned family Christmas. And uh, kids are going to be... Cuter than ever, right? I mean, you just put costumes on them and they're going to read through the Christmas story and act it out a little bit, and we're going to participate in singing together. So make sure that's two weeks, uh, yeah, two weeks from today, the 9th of December in the morning time. And then I just wanted to give you an update. Some of you have heard that we uh, have been seeking to love strong in this community, specifically at Madras Elementary. And I wanted to give you an update. We are working on getting a team together that goes in every month and, and encourages and loves on the teachers and the students at Madras Elementary. Every month they have a, a family night, and so we want to be a part of that. But I need to let you know what happened the week before Thanksgiving, actually two weeks. We had opportunity to serve the teachers two meals, two different weeks two different nights, it was parent-teacher conference, and what we found out was normally they don't eat, normally they have conferences with parents through the whole evening, and either they take a sack lunch and are able to eat in between, or they don't get anything at all until they get home, and so what we got to do was go in and serve them a meal in the teacher's room, conference room, what's it called, teacher's place, lounge, Although it wasn't very loungy. But anyway, it was, uh, it, was, uh, it was a place where they came down and we got to serve them a meal. And I got to tell you, they were so appreciative. And I know I, did, I missed the first one because I was sick. But the second one, Bob and I got to pray with one of the teachers whose daughters had been in a car accident. And she was, she was ready and, and very grateful that we were there and able to pray with her And so I'm just telling you, it's been a great thing already, and I'm looking forward for us to to get more involved there and just love on that that school. Um, We already love the principal of that school, don't we? Yes, we do. Yes, Principal Chris Weiland. And, And so now we have opportunity to love on the teachers and the students and the staff there. So I just wanted to give you an update. Is that okay? Awesome. Let me pray. And then we're going to stand together and read Revelation chapter 4. Father, thank you so much for this morning. Thank you that you are (laughs) are an incredibly wonderful, amazing, awesome, majestic, glorious God who we get the privilege of worshiping. And Father, today I pray that that would be true of us, that we would have hearts full of worship today, hearts full of praise because of who you are and what you've done for us. Father, thank you for the opportunities that we have had as a church family and as individual members of this church to love on people in this community, to care for people, to show the love of Christ. I thank you for that. I thank you for the opportunity to, to partner and, and to be a support and an encouragement and to serve Madras Elementary, and I pray that you would continue to grow that. Father, I thank you so much for the way that you have taken care of many people who have been sick or struggled with physical ailments in this church family, and we pray and give you thanks for that. And now, Father, as we get to open your word together, we would just ask that your Holy Spirit would guide us into truth. We thank you that he is there for that. I pray that our hearts would be sensitive and receptive to what your word tells us, That, Father, we would not just gain intellectual knowledge today, but as a result of being here, we would go out and live a little bit differently. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So I'm going to invite you, if you've already turned to Revelation 4, I'm going to ask you to stand as we read Revelation, all of chapter 4, and then we'll read Revelation chapter 5 in a little bit. This is the Word of God, and, and so I just want us to stand in, in honor of this, and I want us to read, follow along, Revelation chapter 4 and verse 1. After this, I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice, which I had heard speaking to me like a trumpet, said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. At once, I was in the Spirit. And behold, a throne stood in heaven with one seated on the throne. And he who sat there had the appearance of jasper and carnelian, and around the throne was a rainbow that had the appearance of an emerald. Around the throne were twenty-four thrones, and seated on the thrones were twenty-four elders clothed in white garments with golden crowns on their heads." The second living creature like an ox, the third living creature with the face of a man, and the fourth living creature like an eagle in flight. And the four living creatures, each of them with six wings, are full of eyes all around and within, and day and night they never cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. and we're created. You may sit down. We are in a study that we're calling credo. You are I don't know the definition of credo by right now because I have repeated it nearly every Sunday. Credo is a set of beliefs that guides the way an individual or a group lives. You got that? You have that down, right? It is a set of beliefs That impacts the way we live. And so, as we've been looking at this series on Credo, we have not only just asked the question, What is it that we believe? but even more so, we've been asking the question, How do we live in light of what we believe? And so, we've looked at things like God, we've looked at the Trinity, we've last week looked at the truth about worship. And so, this morning, we look at the second part. As we consider what true worship is, what it really looks like. And I would submit to you this morning that we, many of us, including myself, I am stepping on my toes today, but many of us have misunderstandings about what we think worship is. And so what we are looking at is Revelation chapter 4, and specifically we're going to get into chapter 5 today. And we've asked this question, what is true worship? What does it look like to truly worship? And we've had these two assumptions. Number one, that if anyone has worship correct, it is those who are around the throne of God in heaven, right? I mean, doesn't that make sense? They ought to know how to worship So we're looking at their example for what it looks like to truly worship. But secondly, this assumption that we make is this, that deep within the heart of each and every one of us, whether we recognize it or admit it or not, there is this desire to worship something, and specifically someone bigger than us, namely God. If anyone knows how to worship, it's those that are around the throne, as we've just read about. And we all have a deep, deep desire to worship God, whether we admit it or even know it or not. And so we've asked the question, what is true worship? What are are some distinguishing features about worship? And so last week, we looked at true worship, and we sought to look at three distinguishing features. We said true worship is first this— Preoccupied with God. We said it is not about us, it's not about you, it's not about me. We come in, and many of us, and this is where my problem in worship is I come in and I want my style of music, I want the right instruments that I enjoy, and it's like what George Close jokingly says God blesses the music that I like. It's true. I want a certain style, and therefore, that's what God uses my uh, or is able to be worshipped by is just my style of music, or or my instruments, or the right worship leader, or the right worship team who has skills. But what we said last week is this: first and foremost, worship is not about us; it's all about Him. Throne is a key word in chapters 4 and 5. It is used 19 times. And it is the throne where God is seated. It is as if what we see here is that everything around worship is aimed at God, aimed at the throne. Everything is for God. Everything is about God. And everything is to God. Worship if it's going to be true worship, is preoccupied with God. It's not about us. It's not about the feeling that I get. It's about a person that I revere. Worship is not for me. It's not what um, I like or dislike. It's what He likes and what He dislikes. It's all about Him. Preoccupation with God. The second distinguishing feature that we looked at in true worship is that worship is corporate in nature. Revelation, the book of Revelation, has the most expressions of worship than any other book of the Bible except the Psalms. And what you see is if you read through Revelation, you don't see any individual worship there. It's all corporate worship. In fact, I would say if you took the whole Bible and you were to read through and looked at expressions of worship in the whole Bible, yes, there would be examples of individuals who did worship here and there. But for the most part, what you would see is on a whole, worship is corporate. And what we have saw last week is that worship begins with the inner circle, the four living creatures. And then it expands to the 24 elders. And then it expands a little further and you have the four living creatures and the 24 elders worshiping. And then by the time you get to chapter 5 and verse 11, it now includes myriads and myriads and thousands and thousands of angels that are incorporated now into worship. And then by the time you get to verse 13 of chapter 5, it says, every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them join in and worship. You see the corporate. corporate idea of worship we said worship is corporate in nature and we said last week what we got to do is remove this mentality that what's most important is my individual worship of God see that's why people can say oh I worship much better when I'm out in the woods so I don't go to church because I go out in the woods and worship and you go right But it's the mentality that says my personal worship of God is much more important and a greater priority than the corporate worship of God. Therefore, if I go to the corporate worship and it doesn't meet my needs, my wants, my desires, then guess what? I'm just going to go worship God on my own. But I would say to you that biblically speaking, worship by its very nature is corporate. So our personal worship of God must happen but it's to prepare us to come together in corporate worship of the one true living God. It's corporate. And then last week we said a, a third distinguishing feature is that it is passionate in expression. Last Sunday night some of you were there, but we had a community Thanksgiving service. And, and we, uh, some pastors and, and the host pastor at First Baptist Church took Psalm 100. And I was given Psalm 100 verse 1, which says... Make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all the earth. Make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all the earth. And my comment was this. If that psalm, verse 1, had been written according to how we mostly do it, it would have said, make a ho-hum sigh to the Lord, all the earth. Because quite honestly, that's what we do. We come in and we say we're going to worship service, but we pretty much do (sighs) ho-hum. See, worship is passionate. You can't help but be around the throne of God and become very passionate, can you? Are you with me? These people, they see the throne of God. And they are passionate. There's repetition in their worship. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. That is spoken forever, continuously. Day and night, the verse says they do that. They fall down before the throne in worship. The the, the 24 elders lay their crowns before the throne of God. They are passionate in their worship. Even to the point that they get loud. They get loud in chapter 5. They loudly praise God. I want to tell you, when you behold God, you can't help but be passionate about God, the one that we worship. And so we've made these distinctions. We said these are three distinguishing features of true worship. And today, I'd like to focus on one. I'd like to focus on one, but I'd like to take the whole time a fourth distinguishing feature of what true worship is. And this one I have been so excited for because I think this is the heart and soul of worship. I'll give it to you. Worship is captivated by the Lamb. Captivated by the Lamb. Would you mind standing one more time as I read chapter 5? Follow along as I read Revelation chapter 5. Think of that. True worship is captivated by the Lamb. Notice what happens here in chapter 5. Verse 1, Then I saw in the right hand of Him who was seated on the throne a scroll written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And between the throne and and the four living creatures and among the elders, I, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying, To Him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped. Amen. You may be seated. True worship is captivated... By the Lamb. Captivated by the Lamb. Let me see if I can illustrate. Several early summers ago, early part of June or so, when the weather was starting to get nice again, which I'm already looking (coughs) forward to, um, and warm, I found myself out at one of the overlooks over Lake Billy Chinook. I got up early and I was excited to get out there and have a prayer time with the Lord and and to do my quiet time and then to prepare for that coming Sunday sermon. And I was out there and I was enjoying the still of the morning and the and the sun rising from the east. My back I was we were faced this way and it was it was coming up and and I remember it got warm enough so that I got out of my truck and and I stood at the overlook and right below me. I was at the one where the marina was. It was right below me. And so I watched as the the higher the sun got, the the more busy it became below me, and I, I saw the workers there of the marina, and they were you know getting the hoses ready and the and the gas ready to fill boats as they pull into the slip, and and they were getting the rentals ready, and and people were yelling out to one another, and I watched as as boaters were bringing those carts down, you know, full of life jackets and skis and wakeboards and tubes and all that ice chests and all that, and 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 they're going to their boats and I watched other people carrying you know fishing poles and t- carrying tackle boxes and and going to their boats and, and and I and I got consumed by what was going on. And I gotta be honest with you it, it kind of brought some um well aggravation in my heart because <laughs> I watched and I saw a boat starting to pull out and and what I thought doing going too fast or, you know, whatever and I was like, Oh, you shouldn't go that fast and, and pretty soon I'm critiquing these boats and these drivers. And then and then I looked at some of the boats and I and I got jealous because they get to go out on the lake. And, and I, I, I remember the days when our kids were little, and man, during the summer we'd go out at least once a week and we'd have this wonderful family time on the boat, and, and we'd spend all day in the sunshine and playing in the water, and, and I'm looking at this, and I'm going, "Oh man, I wish I could do that." And then I see some of the boats, and all of a sudden envy creeps into my heart, and I go, "Wow, look at that Malibu. That's amazing. Lookn't that. that beautiful?" What I would love—I would love to have that boat—and and pretty soon the envy, the aggravation, and, and the jealousy, and the envy, and just plain selfishness—as I'm looking down and and I'm caught up down here, and and my heart is becoming, you know, kind of stirred up, and I'm, I'm not feeling very much at peace until I did something, something that changed my demeanor just like that. I just simply looked up. I looked up, and literally I went, because right across the canyon of Lake Billy Chinook was Mount Jefferson, still covered in snow, the morning sun starting to rise and causing that mountain to just glow in front of the deep, clear blue sky behind it. And I literally went, and immediately I was captivated. I lost sight of everything going down on down here. And I was just amazed and overwhelmed and captivated by this glorious sight. That's what's happening in chapter 5. They are captivated by this lamb that was slain. And notice how it happens. First of all, there is this this cosmic challenge. Who is worthy to open this scroll? Scroll that is in the right hand of the one seated on the throne, which means the right hand is a hand of judgment. And it's this scroll that's sealed. And only the the one who is worthy to open it can open it. And he has this scroll. The, the, The question goes out by the angel, Who is worthy? And we see this incredible failure. There's an inadequacy there. Who is worthy? They look everywhere. They look at every created being there is on the earth, under the earth, in the sea. They look at every part of creation and they don't find anybody worthy. There is an inadequacy. And John starts to weep as he sees this. Why? He doesn't know what's in that scroll. But there's a good understanding. It's coming from the throne of God in the right hand of God, sealed for the one who is worthy to open it, which speaks then of the the coming revelation of God, the coming judgment, the coming new kingdom of God. Something's going to happen here, but we can't find anybody worthy. And John weeps. Until the, the, the angel comes to him and says, don't weep anymore. <laughs> there is one. There is one and only one who is worthy. And notice he's described as the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, the one who is conquered so that he can open that scroll. And there is this declaration of a worthy one. And then from verse 8 on, we have this outburst. I mean, it's a, it's a magnificent outburst of worship that is totally engulfed in the person of the Lamb. This one steps forward as the only one who is worthy. And we see this great captivation uh, toward the Lamb. They, They are captivated by Him. They are impressed with Him. And I want us to see what that looks like. To be captivated by the Lamb, I want to suggest three things that go on around the throne that help us understand what it looks like, what it means to be captivated by the Lamb. And the first is this. Oh, I already got it up there. Recognize the Lamb's deity. They recognized the Lamb's deity. And so they worship the one who is slain, the Lamb who is slain. And you may say to me, well, well, Jeff, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. First of all, you said that worship is a preoccupation with God, and now you're saying it's a captivation of the Lamb. What are you, what are you talking about? Is it, is it one or the other? Is it both? Or what's going on here? Should we just worship God? Should we worship the Lamb? And I will say to you exactly Because they are the same. There's one God who eternally exists in three distinct persons. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. God the Father is sitting on the throne. He's the one that John can only describe using uh, uh, precious stones. Because he can't see the face of the one sitting on the throne. But now comes the Lamb who is God the Son. Who now stands as a Lamb who is slain. And worship happens to Him. And so we recognize He is God. And you may say to me, but but Jeff, as I read this, nowhere in this passage does it tell me that the Lamb is God. And I would say, you're right. In fact, I would tell you further, nowhere in Revelation, the book of Revelation, does it say that the Lamb is God. But I would give you evidences. Evidences that those who read this who were Jewish would fully get it. They would fully understand. Let me give you three distinct evidences that this lamb who stands as the slain one is indeed deity. First of all, evidence number one. You remember when the angel asked who is worthy, where did they look to see who was worthy? Think about it. Where did they look? No one, in verse. this is back in verse 3, and no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or look onto it. No one, no created being was able to open that scroll. You, you got that down, right? No created being was able to open it. There was no one found worthy in all of creation. Until the Lamb shows up. Which says to us, brothers and sisters, that the Lamb is separated from creation. Do you know what that word separate means? Not created. But there's another word that's used for that. Back in chapter 4 and verse 8. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. You could easily put in there, separate Separate, separate is the Lord, sorry, is the Lord God Almighty. He is separate. He is above and beyond all of creation because He was not created. He is the Creator. And guess what? We have the same evidence of the Lamb who was slain. Because in all of creation, no one was found worthy until the Lamb shows up, which means He's separate from creation. Are you following? He is. The Holy One. God. Evidence number two. Notice that He is described back up in verse 6. I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain. Notice seven horns and seven eyes. Did you know that in apocalyptic literature such as Revelation, seven is a number meaning complete, full, and perfect. Seven is. But notice what it says, seven horns. Did you know that the horn in what about that? In Revelation and all apocalyptic literature, a horn stands for power. So the bigger the horn, the more the horns, the more the power. There is complete or fullness of power displayed on the Lamb with seven horns. Who do we know who is omnipotent, all powerful? God! Guess what? The Lamb is described as being all-powerful, complete in power. You see that? Are you with me? Did I lose you? And then seven eyes. Seven, again, perfect, complete, full. Eyes speak of being able to see everything at all places at all times. Being able to be, if you will, omnipresent. Who do we know who is omnipresent? god see by the description of the seven horns and the seven eyes we hear this lamb is deity he is god one more a third one more did you notice that in verses 9 and 10 of chapter 5 and in verse 12 and in verse 13 this lamb receives worship did you notice that Did you also remember that in Exodus chapter 20 and verse 2, God himself says, you shall have no other gods before me. In other words, to worship anyone or anything else other than the one true living God is what we would call blasphemy. And there were people who were put to death for that. And so we understand that the only one who is to be worshipped is God himself. But guess what? The Lamb is worshiped three times the lamb is worshiped now you need to understand that in chapter 19 of revelation john falls down and starts to worship one of the angels and the angel says oh no 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 don't do that he does it again in chapter 22 of revelation falls down and tries to worship the angel and the angel says no 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 i'm a servant just like you why because you should only worship the one true living god and The slain lamb receives worship because he is God. So those around the throne, they are captivated by this lamb as they recognize his deity. He is God. But secondly, let me also show you what it looks like to be captivated in that it is to revere the lamb's sacrifice. Now look with me at verse 9. Chapter 5, verse 9. Notice what they say. The, 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 the 4 and the 24, they say, they sing a new song. And they say this, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. It's, just, it's in praise. Remember, nobody was found worthy. Here he comes. He's worthy. But notice why. For you were slain. And by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation and you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God and they shall reign on the earth. They recognize this lamb who is God was also slain. He became a sacrifice and they revere the sacrifice that this lamb made on their behalf. Now, who do we know who is the lamb of God who was slain to take away the sins of the world. Jesus Christ. We are understanding that we are talking about none other than Jesus himself here. He was slain. But I want you to understand something. When they give praise to him and they're revering him for his sacrifice, I'm going to get a little bit um, PG here, okay? Not for anything other than maybe violence. Because notice this sacrifice is described as a bloody sacrifice. By your blood, you ransomed. See, I'm afraid too often, we especially who have been church in church for a number of years, we take lightly the sacrifice of Jesus. We, we kind of put it in our minds that, oh yeah, he's God, and he went through it, and I, I'm sure it was tough, but you know, he, it's done and over with now, and, and we're okay. It's, it's cool. No, it was a bloody, horrific sacrifice now I'm I'm not saying anything here except have you ever seen the movie the passion of Christ I remember watching that and being in tears because it shocked into me once again how my savior died for me how the lamb was slaughtered for me this was a a bloody sacrifice which means he died because he shed his blood Which means the life, we're we're told in the Bible, life is in the blood. And if the blood was spilt, it means he really did die. But secondly, it means that he was put to death by slaughter. That word slain, I was telling Bob this this morning and this kind of shook me up as I thought about it. That word slain in verse 9 could easily be said, uh, uh, an English word could be used, slaughtered and violently so. It's not a pretty word slain. We, we kind of, again, think light of it. But, but it was a violent slaughtering of the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And we have to revere what He has done. We have to respect and honor and worship the Lamb who was violently and bloodily, bloodily, you know what I mean, put to death so that we could be ransomed. This sacrifice is something we need to to look at and and be in awe of. But notice this sacrifice as well is an effectual sacrifice. That's a spiritual way to say it. But what it means is this sacrifice accomplished much. In other words, we're not saying today that by his sacrifice he might have done something. He, He maybe at some point will accomplish something. No, this is in the past tense. By His blood, notice what it says, you ransomed people for God. You purchased them. By your bloody sacrifice, you purchased people for God. It is an effectual sacrifice. It's a done deal. And notice where these people came from. From every tribe, language, people, and nation. I would tell you the four corners of the world every part of this world. I would say to you, here's my personal belief. My personal belief is that the death of Jesus Christ is effective for this whole entire world and millions of worlds beside, if there are any. It is effectual. It's accomplished. It's done. He has ransomed from the four corners of the world, from every every corner, every place in the world. He has sacrificed Covers it. But notice it's only applied to a few. Because while it does talk about the four corners of the world, it says there are people who come from these places. It's not everybody. It's not every uh, tribe, language, people, and nation. It's people from every tribe, language, people, and nation. In other words, only those who put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ are ransomed. Now, His death would cover all this world and many, many more besides, but it's only applied to those who in faith believe in Jesus Christ and receive Him as their personal Savior because they come from. So this this ransom, this this, this effectual sacrifice is effective for all, but it's applied to those who believe in Him. And then, Notice this other thing. I want you to see the purpose of this sacrifice. I know I'm taking a long time, but, but this is huge. This is huge. Notice the purpose of this sacrifice. It's bloody, it's effectual, but notice the purpose for God. i got to be honest with you. This shook me up as I started to really think about this because it's easy for us who have put our faith in Jesus to say, Christ died for me. And it's my salvation. And it's my personal relationship with Jesus. And it's, he, he did it for me. I, I can't remember the, the, the song itself, but as a kid I remember hearing a song that talked about when Christ was hanging on the cross, He looked through time and He saw me. He was focused on me as He died on that cross. And I would tell you, uh-uh. Now you and I, if we put our faith and trust in Jesus, we benefit. Absolutely we benefit. But notice who it's for. You ransomed people for God. You made them a kingdom and priests to our God. I want to tell you this. What I'm trying to point out here is the reason Jesus died on the cross was to glorify the Father. Because even in his death, Jesus was all about the Father. It is for God. Jesus died for God. Yes, to save a people, but a people for God. Even in his death, he is theocentric. He is focused on God, just like worship should be preoccupied with God, captivated by the Lamb. So the Lamb died. To ransom people for God. We gotta get this straight. We gotta recognize this. We gotta know. Thank thank the Lord for sound men. Right, George? Yes. I was afraid. I knew I should have changed the battery. Anyway, where was I? I was on a really good roll too, doggone it. Anyway, it's for God. So, So we understand that those who are gathered around the throne, they worship the Lamb. They are captivated by the Lamb as they revere His sacrifice. But then finally as we move on, I want you to see one more thing. That they respond to His worthiness. They respond to his worthiness. They respond. you, You remember, this chapter opens. No one is worthy. There's no one who is able to open the scroll or even look into it until the Lamb comes. And then this proclamation of praise goes out Worthy is the Lamb. We see it three different times Worthy is the Lamb. Worthy is the Lamb. Worthy is the Lamb. He is worthy. Why is he worthy? The scripture says he's worthy because of his sacrifice. And because of the results of his sacrifice, he is worthy. But notice what he's worthy of in verse 12. Worthy is the lamb who was slain, notice, to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might. And honor and glory and blessing. Now, if we had another couple hours, we might dissect each of those words. So, for time's sake, let me tell you that there is, there, there's somewhat, a, these words are somewhat synonymous. Somewhat. There's distinctions. But what I want you to make notice of is how many items are mentioned. Count it real quick. How many items? Worthy are you to receive how many things? You have it? Who's got it? There's seven. There's seven items. What do we know about the number seven in apocalyptic literature? Completeness, perfectness, fullness. In other words, what they are proclaiming is the Lamb who was slain is worthy of our everything. Everything. He is worthy of our everything. He is worthy of our best. He is worthy of our fullest. He is worthy of our everything. Now, I've got to tell you something. Saturday nights as a preacher, I don't stay out late. If we get invited somewhere, I, I usually want to be home and I want to rest up because I know that I, I get to share the Word on Sunday morning. I've got I to be ready. But I've got to tell you, I know some Christians who will stay out partying all Saturday night and then drag themselves into church And even if they wanted to, they couldn't worship God. What I'm telling you is what this is saying right here is He is worthy of our best. Not our second. Not our thirds. Not our fourths. Not after we've had fun all night is He worthy then of what's left over. He's worthy of our best. He's worthy of our fullest worship. He's worthy of all that we can afford to give to Him in worship. He is worthy and then some. And so what we understand is those around the throne are responding to His worthiness by calling everyone everywhere to give Him our best. Our best. Our fullest. Our first. And so what we come today to understand is this idea that that the fourth distinguishing qualification or characteristic of, of, of true worship is this, it's captivated by the Lamb recognizing the lamb's deity that he is God it is revering the lamb's sacrifice his bloody effectual sacrifice to the glory of God and it is coming together and responding to the lamb's worthiness by giving him our best and our all that's what worship is That's what it looks like to be captivated by the Lamb. And so as we bow our heads and close our eyes, I just ask you to do some praying right now to the Lord. I'm not going to pray, but I'm going to ask you some questions. And I'm just going to ask you right now, before the worship team comes back up, how's your heart this morning? Because in a moment, they're going to come and we're going to sing more songs, and that's all they're going to be unless your heart is ready to really worship. And so I'm gonna ask these questions and I ask you to take them to the Lord and, and and I want you to confess when needed to be confessed and praised God in your prayer when you need to praise him. But let me just ask these questions with your eyes closed and your heads bowed, just this is with you and God. I'm gonna ask him to just kind of get you going. But number one, have you made worship all about you? Have you been complaining about the skill level of the worship team? Or the style of music? Have you been unhappy because it's not what you would do if you were the worship leader? Have you made it all about you? And if so, would you just confess that to the Lord? Lord, I know it's about you. It's for you. It's to you. It's not about me. I confess that. Let me ask you the second question. When Sunday rolls around, do you look forward to worshiping the Lord with others? Or is it a drudgery? Will you find any other excuse to get out of it? Will you go out into the woods proclaiming that you can worship better out in the woods instead of taking part in corporate worship? Is it your heart to be with other believers in the corporate worship of God? If not, maybe you need to confess that. Third question is your heart in your worship? In other words, are you willing to express passion in the worship of the one true living God? Or do you come in and allow other people to dictate whether you're going to raise your hand or not instead of the wonderful majesty of God? Is your heart in your worship? Do you respond to the truth of God Or do you just bring him a ho-hum sigh? Fourthly, are you captivated by Jesus? Are you captivated by him? Do you constantly remind yourself of the gospel, the truth of his sacrifice on your behalf for the glory of God? Are you constantly overwhelmed by that, captivated by Christ? Are you recognizing how worthy he is? Do you bring Him your best and your all? Or do you bring Him your leftovers? I think before we sing, we need to take time and to confess these things to the Lord and make sure that when we are ready to sing, our hearts are responsive. And so, Father, we come and we thank You for being a God who is so mighty, so awesome so majestic, so glorious that we can't even fully comprehend who You are. And yet, Father, You have revealed Yourself to us in Your Word. Father, thank You that You have also revealed who Jesus is, the slain Lamb who on, for You became a bloody sacrifice, ransoming, ransoming purchasing, for yourself a people a kingdom a kingdom of priests thank you father for jesus thank you for him thank you for the risen lamb that has been slain and is now alive at your right hand and father help us help us the rest of our time here today to be pleasing to you father help us to get this understanding down if nothing else that what we do now is not about us It's not about the musicians. It's not about the music. It's not about the the songs that are selected. It's about the words that we say in response to the truth of who you are. So, Father, help us to respond in a way that we could leave this place saying, He, you, are pleased. And we pray this in Jesus' name.